Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Goalie Science, the podcast that bridges the gap between goal setting, science, and peak performance. I'm your host, Jamie Phillips, a former professional goalie, currently pursuing a doctorate in physical therapy, and specializing in goalie performance coaching. Joining me as always is Dr. Ben Cernick, a seasoned goalie coach and sports analytics specialist. Whether you find yourself at home, on the road, or at the rink, grab a cup of your favorite beverage and let's drop the puck on this week's episode. Jamie, it's another week and we're back to fighting on the internet after we said we were going to stop. Well, <laughs> You know what? It's so funny because like, I don't know if it's just like Dunning-Kruger effect or if it's just people that actually, I think it's just Dunning-Kruger effect. Um, and yeah, there's a lot to, there's a lot to, to kind of talk about, but this is going to be a science heavy episode. So two weeks in a row of science heavy episodes. Uh, yeah. So what, if you are unfamiliar in terms of why, why we are fighting on the internet, not, it's not Ben and I fighting with each other. It's us fighting against really just one person. Um, but it's because I reposted an old video that I made a couple of years ago. And it was just talking about why it, like certain shots are impossible to react to. And because, you know, there is like a peak reaction speed, like the your, your brain can only process information so quickly. So how do goalies stop these shots when the, the shots in the NHL and different levels exceed that, exceed that rate? And we've talked about it and Ben's going to bring up a ton of research, a lot of it in European handball. And it just goes, and it's a lot of it in baseball too as well, where essentially we, the brain, it, we just, let's call it pattern mapping. The brain has seen so many shots that it's able to create a map of patterns in terms of at, you know, of all the conditions of the blade of the player approaching of all the different things, the variables that contribute to a shot. And it's able to come up with basically the best estimate of where that puck is going and how fast and what does the body need to do. And that's why 
Uh, a good example is if you play, and Ben's going to talk about this later, but like, you know, think about every time someone like knuckle pucks it or, or, you know, whiffs on a shot. It's really hard to stop versus when someone just comes in and rip it, rips it, and you're used to them ripping shots all the time, you make a save. So I made this post, all right, or I guess I reposted this post, and someone on the internet, uh, an old, old dog, said that we were he said it said something about me data mining i was silicon valley data mining uh which i there's one thing i don't know how to do that's code at all so definitely not yeah no you're off i'm horrible at it and um that i was trying to moneyball uh i was trying to moneyball hockey and that we should essentially keep science out of hockey the problem is is science has been involved in all athletics and hockey for a very long time Hockey has been quote unquote money balled for like a really long time. Like a long, long time. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. There is a, there's literally a website called moneypuck.com. Like that is very literally a, a public statistics modeling website that if you're not using, you should. If you like that's uh and also go on. Like Ben, as a statistician, also consults with pro teams in terms of drafting and evaluating players. And this is not new. Like this didn't just exist, like appear overnight. Like this has been existed for a long time. And then and we'll, we can just like continue like just talk about things. But in terms of all the replies, there's one reply that just cracked me up so much. He's and he, he said something about like her, you ever heard of Herb Brooks and also like the Red Army hockey team. And I think like the funniest thing is like again like again the dunning kruger effect where like the little you know the more confident you are in terms of things versus the more you know the less confident you are the soviet union in all sports like the vast majority of sports performance research that we have and the basis of almost all things including strength training comes from the soviet especially union. strength training especially yeah. strength training like there's always if you're going to do some sort of sports performance literature or research you're probably going to get in the archives and you're going to find out the Soviets did it 60 years ago. And it just hasn't been translated. Oh, there's yet. so much. Yeah. That's, that's, there's so much stuff still in Russian uh, that has not been, been translated at all. So I, I love favorite, that. Like, this I love that argument. Yeah. Like, like oh, oh well, well, the Russians didn't do this. Yeah, oh, oh, yeah, they did. They did it a long time ago. Actually, their argument should have been the Canadians and Americans didn't do this back in the 60s and 70s. I'd be like, yeah, that, yeah you're kind of right. But they just say like the Russian, the Russians, they're just the worst, the worst argument. Oh God. It's just so funny. I mean, like you can learn so much from old Russian behavior on so like influences today. Like a lot of stuff that we know about like practice design in terms of like the physiology of practice and training is Russian, like concepts of periodization. So like how you should taper leading up to games if you play a set schedule, how you can balance different periods of time. Like this is all like 40 to 50 year old, like again, like the red machine. This was them, all on them. Yeah, so, like, it was pretty all of it. Like plyometrics, like aka like, shock training, like Berkshire, like this is all Russian stuff. Everything we have now, it, it oh God, it's just so fun. And it also like in his original message, he was like, yeah, like, judging the play entering the zone and like reading the release all these things it's like these are feel i'm like yeah actually no well yes but also you can like, <laughs> you can actually quantify all of these things they're all quantifiable which is a perfect transition because let's talk about it jamie 
let's talk let's about talk science. How we know? Let's do a little bit of science. Uh, let's do a little bit of science. Let's do a little bit of story time, and we'll kind of wrap up. Um, so one of the one of the great things about goaltending is that it is a very simple position. Your job is to stop the puck, right? Mm-hmm. The unfortunate part is all the parts that go into that. Very complicated. Very hard. Very, very, very complicated. Yeah, super difficult. Uh, if it was easier, we would both be in the NHL. We're not. So, one thing I think is really important. So again, your your post is all about how when shots are hard enough and from close enough, a lot of the times uh, there's not there's not enough time to to react to it. So there's a level of anticipation and a level of moving prior to the puck being released or moving as the puck is like directly as the puck is released. And there's not a ton of research in hockey. Um, and I can give you a couple of reasons why. Uh, first and foremost, the technology we use for gaze behavior. And so the lab that I work in, we do gaze behavior research. Uh, our colleagues do gaze behavior research. One thing about the eye trackers, one, uh, technology has changed a lot in the last like five, 10 years. So it's a lot better. But for a long time, it was super expensive. And basically, uh, a little bit of sweat will break the entire like the slightest amount of fluid will just destroy tens of thousands of dollars worth of equipment. And so, why have we not done a ton of hockey stuff on that, Jamie? You know, that's it. It's It'll burn under the mask. It's a little hot in there. Yeah, it's expensive, and the tech is like again, it's gone a lot better. And uh, I'm sure we'll start to see it moving forward. There is some research being proposed. It is sponsored by the Pittsburgh Penguins, and they're looking at scanning behavior. I'm not sure what they'll be using eye trackers for it, but if they're or they're going to be using uh, different systems for it. But that's TBD. It's a funded PhD. So if you're a master's student graduating, you want to go to the Norwegian School of Sports Science. Pittsburgh Penguins will fund you to do it. Um, but we can draw on ways. We can draw on research from other fields, and so baseball is a big one. Uh, but ones that are actually even bigger, like you mentioned before, Jamie, is handball. Uh, and even bigger than that is cricket. So I think like cricket, again, like, yeah, there's like, pitch. Us, as, us as North Americans, like we take for granted like how big other sports are in the world. Again, like we just get in that mindset. We're like, oh yeah, like we're the only place in the world. It, no, 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 no. Yeah, sure aren't. Oh, no, sure no. aren't. There's, and again, like cricket, cricket is a massive international sport. Handball actually also massive. Uh, Jamie, a little jar-free pop quiz. Germany is twice the population of Canada. Bet you didn't know that. You're right. I didn't know that. <laughs> anyway, uh, but I wanted to talk about this one study, which is really, really cool. Again, this study came out 13 years ago, April 2010. And all it was was a study on comparing uh, cricket batter behavior when it was a like a pitching machine or, a, in the case, cricket, a bowling machine versus a live bowler or live pitcher from our North American folks here. Uh, and you wouldn't believe this. There is significantly different batter behaviors between the machine and the pitcher. I actually right? would believe and that. And so in the instance, there's different, yeah, there's difference in front foot timing. There's difference in like the windup of the bat. And the task is still the same. They're trying to hit the ball, mm-hmm. right? So what is the difference between the machine and the live bowler, Jamie? Oh, it's all the information that you get from it. Yeah. The the body position, right? The many years of watching a a human being bowl a ball at you versus all of a sudden. It's one thing, like if you only train on a machine, you'd be good until a human comes at you. Exactly. 
right? Because you've learned, because you learn this set of uh, information and this and, and what goes on. And there's like a really classic model in the skill acquisition research. And so that's kind of one of the worlds that I occupy. And it's like a really old model called the Newell's model of constraint. It basically says that every time we do a task, there is a, a constant uh, information is received from the individual. So the person doing it, what the task is itself and then the environment, right? And so like if it's a machine or a bowl, or that's the environment changing, right? And so th they're fundamentally by this definition, two different tasks, right? Mm -hmm. So you would expect it to be differently. So again, like because there's different levels of information, there's different behaviors because the task changes a little bit. And so that's kind of the first hint at, okay, so we understand that it's not as simple as just watching the ball or watching the puck, right? There has to be something more there because it changes our anticipation and changes our behavior. So we'll put all these papers again in the show notes of the podcast. Um, in the YouTube, I'll make sure that we have all of that up. So I'm not going to dive too deep into where you can find them. They will be there. But this leads over to another paper that I really like, and it's really, really cool. It's a paper that's titled The Accuracy of Outcome Anticipation, but not Gaze Behavior differs against left and right-handed penalties in team handball goalkeeper. So basically this paper looked at the differences in goalkeeper behavior when the person taking a penalty or just like a, basically a free throw uh, in, in handball was right versus left-handed. And to really summarize what they found there is that the gaze behavior of the goalkeeper, so the environmental information that they were picking up for left and le right and left-handed was pretty similar. They were looking at the same points, again, obviously on the opposite sides, but they were picking up the same information, same uh, release behavior, same ball location. But what significantly changed was um, the ability of like basically stopping the ability of anticipation change and the body behavior change right versus left-handed. And because the gaze behavior was the same, the argument is just the processing speed is slower on the left-handed side because they've seen it a lot less times than the right-handed side. And I think that's a really, really powerful, it's a really cool study. Like again, a really, really great study. We'll link it in the show notes. Um, but again, I think that highlights that fact that, you know, even though those, uh, these are elite goalkeepers, right? Ability, they're still looking for the same information. They know what they're trying to look at. They still have the same approach, but they just haven't seen it as much. So the body's ability to pick up the subtle details, the extra information that they're not actively focused on is harder, mm -hmm. Right. And so I think that again, really highlights familiarity. So you mentioned uh, on your post and you mentioned even just now, like when a little like fluky shot happens and we get caught off guard by it, it's because that's a different result than what we were anticipating based on all the information we've picked up. And again, this is a very nerdy topic, but I think this is so cool to understand, right? Like that this is the reason you need to have high quality repetitions and a, a range of different repetitions is so that you have seen these patterns happen enough time, right? Yeah. And so it is, it's, it's a nerdy topic, but again, like that's, you know, it's actually more your realm, it's both of our realms to, to read the nerdy topics. And it's kind of been my realm for you to read it and then talk to it about me. And then I translate it into a more general pop. So that people understand it, but it's important that we have a, like a, a why we do things and, and a why and a how. So that way we can slowly distill and be able to, to try to get like the baseline and the lowest level fundamental training and thinking so that we can just slowly expand on it. There's one thing to be like, oh, you know, my goalie is struggling at tracking. Well, let's just shoot more pox at his glove. Well, that might not necessarily be the case. That might not be the issue. And so we have to look at actual science in order to help make us, help, 
help us think critically and help us to make informed decisions in terms of why we are doing these things. And I, and I think I say this every week, but like it always comes down to, to thinking critically about things. And one of the things that I, I, I'm very like proud of that I get a lot of feedback from my goalies is they like to say that I can like basically because, you know, I spent a lot of time looking at biomechanics and all the things of the body where we look at, you know, I have a more than a surface level understanding about why things happen. Uh, you know, why is this goalie's leg trading behind him? Why are their hands doing this? And so I think it's really, really important. And so just to always be like, oh, well, you should just be able to feel it. Or like, oh, it's just natural instinct. Well, yeah, like definitely natural instinct. Yeah, there's part, that's part of it. It's part of huge. Part, but there's also like a massive reason to it. Like Andre Vasilevsky isn't good at hockey just because he woke up one day and started playing hockey. He had years and years and years of training and, and exposure to all these things. And that all these things that he's exposed to, these variables, are all quantifiable and meaning that we can take it and be like, okay, like this is important. Why is he successful over other reasons? He was exposed to this many shots and these many shots. And like it all all adds up. And it turns into, you know, money walling the game, as people would say, even though that's completely not it, because money balling is basically trying to predict outcomes based on past performances. Uh we're just trying to that's exactly what it is. We're we're just trying to come up with some answers and possible hypothesis in terms of why we do things and if we need to change them or not. So yeah, I don't and know. so this is like, and so, no, this is this is good. This is the one that I've been wanting to to talk about. And then little teaser, but we're going to be having uh, next month um, a practice design and skill learning expert coming on the podcast. So obviously, I'm super excited for that. Um, but this is why this discussion of understanding how you need to do good quality reps and getting a, a correct number of reps. It, but it's also important why we can't just do drills where it's like, okay, we're shooting at your glove. And then we shoot at your glove 50 times. There's a time and place for that. Um, confidence. Uh, very, very, very new goalies who are there for fun. And basic, 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 basic learning. But like, if, if that is your approach to getting better at puck tracking, it's, you're gonna, it's not going to work as well as other things. Because we're giving you too much extra information that you don't get in the game. You're probably right? doing a disservice long term. So like, I, like you said, like beginner goalies from, especially when it comes to like, Hey, I'm shooting at your glove, shooting at your glove is not like, Hey, that's usually not the solution to fix your glove. What else? Like I'll see is no. if someone is having a muscle met like a motor, like muscle memory is their muscle memory is kind of giving them bad habits and we're trying to break something, then yes, I'll often do like, Hey, we're doing 20 shots to your glove and they're high. So I don't want your gloves to track in and out. I just want you to work out. And then once we get that pattern, then we add in that reaction time and then they usually default back to old habits. We talk about it, we address it, then we fix and fix and fix. So there, there is a time and place, but I do see too often where it's like always shooting. I'm your, this shot I'm coming out, I'm shooting low stick, make your save, come across and I'm shooting high blocker, make your save. And it's one thing to do that with beginners. And even with beginners, it's almost mm -hmm. like probably don't even need to do that either. You don't need to. You don't need to do they that. You don't need no. to either. Uh, so... so I definitely yeah. have uh, some, I have, I'm not a big fan of that approach. Yeah. And, and like I said, there's, I hand up, we always talk about here at the Goalie Science Podcast that we make mistakes and we learn from them. So 
So in my path, I'm absolutely someone who's done like very, very, what would be considered deconstructed learning and block learning, where it's like, okay, we're going to work on this exact pattern over and over. Right. The way I've, I've shifted my perspective on this is you can, if you want to do a drill that is working on someone's glove, just don't tell them you're shooting at their glove. You can still shoot at their glove 80% of the time in that drill. Right. Like yeah. that's just a solution. Like, oh, like, again, I was working with a goal the other day and he's like, yeah, I've had a hard time catching puck. And this is a goalie I've known for a little while and they track the puck well. Um, they do a good job of tracking pucks in, they do a good job of scanning. And so initially my first assumption is, okay, it's not actually their glove, right? It's not that their glove's not probably not working or they're not catching pucks, right? It's probably something, it's some behavior leading up to that safe. And so my hypothesis a lot of the time is uh, goalies not getting either their feet set in a situation where they've come off the post or off the goal line, uh, or in a place situation like at a rush play where they may need to be retreating, they might actually be too flat footed uh, and not getting a little retreat or not being mobile. I normally think it's like a, it's a setness thing, right? <laughs> and sure enough, that was what it was. They were coming off the post and they were just getting that forward drift. And we've talked about that before, Jacoby, how yeah. when you're moving from goal line out, that is the time to try and get set. Um, and then when players are moving out to in, yeah, you probably should have a little bit of a retreat. But yeah, that's all it was, right? Like they were doing a good job. It wasn't a glove hand thing. It was just like they were part of that, you know, go back to that task person environment model, right? They were the act of making the gloves save. They were still, they were moving their body. So their environment and their personal being was different than what they were, you know, how they had trained to make those saves, right? So they weren't trying to make the saves the same way that they had trained to make them before. And they were having a bit of a heart, right? Yeah, no, I, I agree. And so some high level science stuff here, high level science. And we talked about blocked and segmented practice and we've talked about this many times and we're sort of deviating away from the initial, the initial science, but it's all thing is too, is like, it's all the same though. No, no, no. Everything, everything, like honestly, when it comes to sport, when it comes to most, almost all things in life, especially sports, it is honestly like all science. And you're going to be like, oh, well, there's natural ability. Yes, but those natural abilities are also built on science. Like, you know, like you, you think, think of like just like going to any like deep, like hockey's still a little bit behind the curve in terms of like sports performance on the ice stuff. Gym's, gym's getting a lot better. You know, sometimes people are more working with like force plates uh, and velocity trackers and different things that could offer good insight. But then you say like, I always like to like compare it to baseball. There's a lot of money in the States for baseball. And then you have like these awesome baseball like performance centers where they're breaking down the video and they're like, you're doing all these things, the pitching and, and the batting. And then when the guys make it to, to the major leagues and everyone's like, oh, it's their natural ability. Yeah, but it's a natural ability that they've trained through hours and days and weeks and months of total time spent in these like sports performance centers. And you know what I love it too is like, especially when it comes to like the odd love of the old dogs and the old guard. It's like, it's, they have that like Rocky versus, uh, what's the yeah. Russian's name there? I want to say, I keep saying Carl Drogo, but that's the guy from Game of Thrones. Um, nope. Oh <laughs> yeah, it is. I actually don't know. And so the move, I'm sorry for everyone who loves Rocky. I have no idea. But you know what you mean? It's, it's like, it's Rocky versus the, uh, like the Russian, the Russians using the machines. He's on performance enhancing drugs. And it's like the, you know, capitalism versus communism and capitalism always wins and like stuff but like it's just that mindset that like is if you just work hard and you have that natural ability you always succeed and yeah there are some times we have outliers and that's the case but like also if you have that outlier and you put them in like a really good scientifically like back training training environment 
on top of allowing him to use his natural talents without like squandering them or like pushing them down, then you, that's when you get like super freak athletes. Yeah. There's this like really wonderful uh, definition of talent, which was originally written in German. Uh, and I'm going to even butcher the translation, but the basic idea is that like talent is the idea that if you hold everything else constant with a person, their biology, their training history, um, their home environment, if you hold all of that constant, you can, you can find out what separates one person from natural talent. And the obvious point of that definition is we can't do that. Can't do it. Right. Yeah. No, you can't do it. And that's okay. You don't need to. Right. But at the same thing, you, you said it nice, right? Like there's for, you know, there's the pop science belief that if you just practice enough, you'll, that's all you need, right? Like you can practice your way and that's not true either, right? That's a disservice. It's a disservice to tell people that if you just practice more and train optimally, you'll make it. It's not true. No. There's again, yeah. there's biology and there's physiology and there's history. There's a lot that plays into it. Um, so there is science in hockey. But let's bring it back to again, our original topic, which is supposed to be about puck tracking and what we learned about it. And I know this is all tied in, but it kind of always comes back down to what's actually happening and then how do we train it, right? That's mostly mm -hmm. what we talk about here on the show. Um, and so I think the the big response from, from the video is that people were like, oh, okay, cool. This is really exciting. Now I know why I'm able to make saves like this. And I think one of the, a really good example that we can all relate to is when someone takes a shot and we make a glove save and our head doesn't move for a second. We've all done that where someone takes a shot, we reach out, we snap, we catch it. We didn't track that puck at all. We did not watch it all the way in, but we knew the release. We knew where it was going to go and we knew where our body needed to go in space because we'd done it thousands and thousands of times. Uh, that's really cool. That's what this all comes down to. It's like we're able to process it. I think what's really funny too is if you watch in the NHL these great glove saves that goalies will make in tight, when you watch it in slow-mo, the puck hits their glove before their glove moves. Oh, way before. Right? Like it literally... Yeah, like there was a, I saw a Devin Levi highlight the other day where he made this great glove save and tight, um, but he was just positionally perfect, right? Like his hand was in a good spot and the shot came. He did not move his hand at all. The puck goes into the pocket, you know, third of a second later, windmill. And it's yeah. just like, he didn't move it at all. He did not move his glove at all. The shot went off the stick directly into the glove and then he did his little, and we all do that. It's a rite of passage of the goalie to do that. You make a glove save, you gotta, you know, mm -hmm. You got to show people you did it on purpose, but that's the reality. He just, he had probably knew that the shot was going, he didn't have to move. Like he had picked that up and then he had also gotten into the right position prior to the shot. Happening. That's the key, key point there is because so, 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 someone listening might confuse it for you saying like he didn't deserve to make that save. It just hit him. Oh, he, he, he pre-positioned himself based on all the prior information and his ability to read that play and, and judge a pattern map to put everything where it needs to be in the right spot, which we just call positioning, and then enough to just track that initial release enough so that he's able to, that puck hits his glove. That's it. Yeah. That's, and, and that's it. And there's, that's just the matter of fact, right? Like it's not really something to be upset about or something to disagree with. It's just, that's the product of really good training. Uh, Devin Levi, obviously people have probably been following the story. It's, it's a really cool story how successful he was kind of for the past few years at every level he's been at. Um, but I think people are also going to pick up as he's very open about all the extra training he does. And he's definitely someone who does everything, right? He yeah. is like, I'm going to try to give myself every single possible edge training wise. Um, 
and again, there's that's great. Like I think it's awesome to see the variety of training options and people trying to explore different things. But it's also something for people to be in mind of. Like again, if you just do exactly what he does, you're not going to be that. I think you have a post about that too, right? Like you're not Andre Vasilevsky or something. Is one of your old. I I have a Vasilevsky. I have a Vasilevsky like one, and I have a UC Sorrows one. Actually, I might just I might bring back the Vasilevsky one this week. Yeah, and like, but that's great, right? Like Andre Vasilevsky is this. What a fun goalie to watch. He's fun because he does so many things amazingly well from a technical side, but then he's also this incredibly great anticipator and athletic goalie who can extend and make those big highlight reel backdoor saves. Like he's such a delight to watch. Mm-hmm. But you again, like he's trained a very, very specific way for a long time. He had a probably a really, really great training environment growing up. Um, and ultimately, you know, he wasn't perfect in the playoffs either, was he? Yeah. So I don't know. It's like, again, you, you shouldn't you shouldn't train like him. You need to you need to optimize your training to what you need to work on, right? Like if you're a hyper flexible goalie, and you're going to spend four hours a day stretching, it's like okay, there's you know you should probably keep stretching to so keep that flexibility, but you can maximize your time better, right? Like the yeah. same thing if you're someone who's um, finds yourself getting beat and tight a lot, maybe you're looking at Jamie's post and you're going, uh oh, like do I not have enough? in tight wraps so I can't pick up the release quick enough. I need to like train just my eyes. No, probably not. You got to probably consider your, your positioning probably all have to consider um, like the style of training that you're doing and where you're getting beat on those plays. Right. Cause sometimes it's really easy as a goalie to get caught in these like little ruts and, and over simplifying what you think could be happening. Right. I agree hundred percent. And so ultimately to, to, to wrap it up is, is a lot of things we go, a lot of things, almost all the things we do, there is science involved. Um, if you don't really understand the science, that's okay. You can always just ask. And if you want to, if you don't agree with it, that's okay too. But Ben and I will come at you on the internet for it. But uh, yeah. like I was, I was saying, for it, if like you, it's good to always, you don't always want to play into your strengths. Keep your strengths your strengths and build up your weaknesses. And if you need help trying to figure out what those are, try to work with an expert um, like I talk about all the time, like I just sent, I sent like two or three goalies this week. I referred them to a mental performance coach because that's what they needed. Uh, I often refer people to, to Dr. Curtis Ackerman at Milton vision and Milton sports vision in Milton for just like vision training. And like, that's really, really important. Um, so just refer to experts when you need it. But Ben, before we wrap this up, let's go back to hot takes. Cause I miss doing hot takes. So I'll give you, I had, you know what? Hold on, hold on. Before we, I have something I didn't. I don't know. Before we do that, I didn't tell you this at all. So this is completely unplanned. Um, uh, a guy that I work with, a friend of mine, so shout out Mark Rob, stops me yesterday and goes, "Ben, new segment for your show, good shot, bad goal." Where what? Yeah, exactly. So people who aren't watching this and are listening, Jamie just gave the the face of absolute approval. Yeah, good shot, bad goal. And I have my good shot, bad goal of the week. I came prepared. All right, my good shot, bad, my good shot, bad goal of the week last night. So this we're recording this on November fifth. So November fourth, uh, Buffalo, Toronto. Uh, Jeff Skinner gets a wicked pass, comes in on like a half breakaway, takes the slap shot from around the faceoff dot, goes side top corner. Starting the old lawnmower, just starting the old lawnmower, pulling the shoulder away. And he would, and and look, we are big Joe Wall fans. And we can acknowledge when Jeff Skinner makes a good shot, still a bad goal. Still a bad goal. Uh, so that's our first uh, good shot, bad goal of the week. 
If you're watching this on YouTube, I actually will take the time and effort to cut that up and add it to the clip. So you're welcome. But I like that good shot, bad goal. So actually, that's super funny. That brings me into my hot take. Uh, it, so after these last three games, is Joseph Wall bad? <laughs> I just want to say that. Because <laughs> I know someone's going to be like, you guys are just all about Wall, but he gave up like 11 goals in his last two starts. Like, you know. You just go back and watch. It happens. Yeah. I mean, uh, with the exception of that Skinner goal, I actually don't think any of them were really his fault. So, um, okay, that's so that, that, that that's my fake. That's why that's my first fake, uh, fake uh, hot take. Ben, what do you got? My hot take is why are more people not talking about the 2017 2018 Jacksonville Iceman shot controversy? Uh, I don't. We should those of you again. Who, it should be a pod in itself. We, it's a, I, let's just do it. We'll do a little brief intro. So for okay. those who don't know, last week last week on the podcast, Jamie told a story about how when he was playing in Jacksonville, he always felt that the shots at home were a little funky. That something was off about the shots. Like it felt like we never never quite had it right at home. And uh, he made a post about it and got some flack, got some interesting pushback from people being like, we don't, you're a lot. Also, also we don't so, believe you. Uh, you just complain that your stats are bad. I know my stats are bad. Do you want to know why? I okay. had a horrible performance anxiety and depression, and I did not want to leave my bed to play hockey. So I didn't. I wasn't playing well. But like, and people are like, and like a lot of the comments will be like, "Yo, it's happening all the time." We know as goalies, like, you know when you make a save, and like you just look at the clock, and if you have shot counters, you want that shot to be. You want credit for that because that's your job. Yeah. That's like imagine going to work and all of a sudden like you finish your project. And it's like, hey, you still have to do that project. No, no, I did it. Like, no, you still have to do that. You have to do like six projects in order to get one done. So we know that. And the the top, the thing last, the story last pod was that uh, it was often because there was like a Burger King deal where if the other team got more than 30 shots on net, everyone got like a free burger. And so obviously... Are we, hold on, hold on, hold on. Are we sure it's 30? Because there is a very suspicious amount of games that stop right below 30. Uh, I was a weird pattern below 30. Okay. I'm almost positive it was 30, but you might you might be wrong because I remember that distinctly. But I think the I funniest I think the funniest part of this is like again, I I made some stories of how it's like a pace of smart friends where like Ben being the crazy person he is, went and looked at a bunch of different years of Jacksonville Iceman shots versus home That's not true. I went through the entire 2017 20 Hey, it's that season. Home and away shots, and what were your findings, Ben? The findings was that when Jacksonville played on the road, the games Jacksonville in were in had nine more shots per game than games at home over a 72-game schedule. So when Jacksonville played on the road, they would average over f- almost five and a half more shots against per game. And when they were on the road, their team would get about three and a half more shots per game, which when you tally that up, like nine shot differences, home versus road, is a lot. It's a like, that's a big difference. That's a lot. That's a big big difference. That's like a that's around like almost thirty three percent difference if you look at sometimes the shots on average through a game. Your math is awful. It's sixteen percent. Okay, fine. Sixteen percent different shots. <laughs> True. Fifty versus fifty. Um, no, yeah, yeah, yes, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. But no, but the point is, again, and it's a big difference to anyone who knows. And again, before people say, well, like, what about, you know, like some teams are bad on the road versus, you know, at home, which is true. Some teams are mm-hmm. better at home than on the road. That happens. Um, almost an identical winning percentage. 
that Jacksonville team that year was not uh, 26 wins on the year. 12 of which are on the road, 14 at home. Like it's again, so it's really hard to say that there was like a home effect there. You guys yeah. were sort of bad. We were, yeah, it, it was the first year of this organization. We weren't very good. I, I definitely wasn't very good. Um, it's weird because my AHL numbers were really good that year. It's just, I was really good. Yeah. I got it, just, I really got in a mental funk whenever I got sent down. Also, getting sent, called up and sent down 14 times in one season. Sometimes I would get sent down for i would get sent down i would get off the plane i would go practice i would go home and i would go to walmart and i'd get my groceries and then as soon as i got back from my groceries i get a call and you got to come back up and so i just spent 200 dollars on groceries and i had to get rid of it and so if you were my roommate that year elkin pierce you got a lot of free groceries <laughs> um you're eating good it, yeah it so like there's a lot like that lot that comes into it so like it's funny too because like i know it it takes a lot of effort on my part to not chirp back at people and it sounds bad but like if you know me like if you know me you know that i'm like a very sarcastic nihilistic kind of guy i do think I, i'm pretty quick-witted and i do like that you just when you're in a dressing room and you just give it back and forth a lot of guys you gotta learn to be quick so there's a few people that chirp me and i'll be honest it i typed up some really good replies and i had to delete them because it was like jamie you're a professional you're also healthcare professional you need to yeah. be mature about this uh so i really wanted i really want to rip back on some things just for fun but i can't um i think the echl is probably or the jackson Weissman are probably going to come after us because i can guarantee you that i'm going to get this discussion and put it on my instagram um and the, the thing was too is like and, and someone might be like oh yeah you're, you're wrong but i for a fact i remember that they had they, they would talk about especially i noticed it a ton more the year after when I was with Florida and we come in on the road and they were really skimpy. I'd love for you to track those shots to like Jacksonville the year after. I'll um, do it. I'm happy to do it. They would talk about the, they would talk about the, the ad on like the Jumbotron. And so I, I was aware that this was a thing. And so I put two and two together really early on when I played on Jacksonville. I even remember telling the coach and asking the coach to talk to the shot counter because he's missing shots. And then the coach told me to F off and just be better. And I was like, yeah, but also like it would help me to not have to think about that. Uh, yeah, he definitely did say F yeah, off I mean, to my face. Uh, I definitely remember that. Yeah. Um, but there was like, Hold on. there's some, there's something. Yeah. No, no, there's, look, there's, okay. There is a famously a game and I'd love people to be the judge of this. There is famously a game. I can give you the date, Jamie. It was April 5th, 2018, a home game, Jacksonville. The final score was five to one. The shots were apparently 17 to 13. You almost like just don't believe it. Like, hold on. Like, yeah, I mean, it's when I saw it, I was like, no, no, no. Like, that's wait, like, wait, wait, right? Like, you know, someone... you know, we, you know what we're going to do it as we, I might, we might have to re like record another ending to this podcast because then I'll cut it in. I'm sure those, the, those stats are the, the game is available online or on Instat. And if someone on Instat clipped those clips, there will be exactly how many shots. And then we have the receipts. And so why are we getting so upset about this? Because honestly, it all comes from just, it started off as a funny story, but then it's, it's kind of funny that this happens. And this isn't like novel. This isn't just in jet. Like the, like, or again, you play minor in minor pro hockey, it's a business. And a lot of these teams don't make a lot of money. 
So what they need to do whatever they can to maximize sponsorship dollars. Like we get, you have to understand that. And so who, you know, sometimes there's some point shaving or phantom assists or goalies don't get the shots because of this. It just, it just is what it is. But I think it's funny that when people are like, oh, you're so wrong. And then we're like, hey, you know what? We're actually not. And we have the yeah. receipts. Yeah. Look, a 5-1 loss. Like you're going to tell me you made 12, like they're, both goalies made 12 saves in that game. Like I, I just don't believe it, Kate. I, he, there's I, a, I refuse. To... This is the conspiracy theory people people need to be on board with. <laughs> stop wasting your time with, stop wasting your time with the flat Earth, and let's get on board with ECHL shot counters. We're coming, we're coming for you. Uh, and once and once again, if you're listening, if you're listening, and you listen, I know people that listen to the Instagram definitely don't listen to the pod because the commenters. Uh, I understand my stats were bad in Jacksonville. It's because I was bad in Jacksonville. Like I know it was it was a bad year. I was not good. I struggle with so many things on and off the ice. That's why I was bad. Hey, you had a 38 save shutout that season in Jacksonville. People don't talk about that. I didn't in Brampton. The first ever win for the Jacksonville Icemen and the first ever shutout in team history were in Brampton. And it was a pretty good game. And what happened the other time you played in Brampton and I came to see you? I got pulled within the first five minutes. And then ironically, I did end up getting traded to Brampton and had a really good season that was ended at, or a really good couple of games that was ended by COVID. So that sucks. Um boy, what a time. I think right. I had I had right. one last I had one last Well, do you have another hot take? I did have another hot take, but now I forgot what it was because now I'm all like fired up. My heart rate's at like two hundred and ten. Um I, I forgot one more final note. Yeah, and give me give me, give me for the, yes, for you. the final note is that uh, none of this matters. <laughs> it actually like the, does. Uh, the, like, yeah. It doesn't matter. So before people also get upset with us going on the on the five-year-old ECHL crusade, we know it doesn't matter. But I think for every goalie, and we again, for every it goalie... Ma- it matters for the other, other goalies. To, yeah. Because you've uh, been through it, it and you just want credit because we're all trying to make it to the highest league possible. And if someone looks at your stats and goes, oh, they had an 8-9-5, Instead of a nine one two or something, due to shot shaving for a Burger King or uh, Burger King's gonna be so mad at us versus some sort of burger <laughs> joint, burger joint uh, like promotion, that sucks for that goalie. And I wasn't the only person that played against Jacksonville or in Jacksonville, so it's like I wasn't the only no, one. This, I just have a podcast. This is this is a, a Colton. This is a Colton Finney shout out. Um, oh, I miss yeah, you're, 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 He's yeah, yeah. yeah, so like good guy. He's Princeton graduate. Where his numbers were, yeah, he's in a road. He's probably on Wall Street making way more money than I am. I need. I should reach out to him. I haven't talked to him in a long time. Um. Anyways, but yeah, I know there's a couple, and then oh, I'm forgetting the name of the other goalie who I, again, tracked all these games for. Uh, Austin Lots. Yeah. He. Yeah, I think he. Yeah. yeah, I think he retired. He played in the spill for a while, but I think he goalie coaches somewhere down south now. Yeah, that's cool. Look, all I'm going to say is it's very... You were a bad team, right? <clears throat> like, Jacksonville's a bad team. Feels a little weird that you were giving up 16, 20, 16, 17, 20. Like, those are the shots, again. Yeah, those are the shots that good teams you're, give you're up. Lose, yeah, the, yeah, no, uh, no, that is not as many shots as the good teams give up. I, oh, I know. Like, just I, Trust me. I know. I am very... Oh, God, it's so painful. Like, there's, like, actually, like, repressed trauma of how frustrated I would get. Look, yeah. 
like I said, look, 20, 23, 19, 23, 16, 20. That was six games, six home games in a row. Like either you were the most shut down home team to ever be, have a, to ever have a 30% winning percentage. <laughs> <laughs> Or this no one. This is no, the, the no. La- this is the lamest crusade in the history of hockey. Uh it is. But the biggest too is it's also making me feel better about like my numbers because even though like I was struggling, it shows that I wasn't struggling as bad. And then in my brain, it's kind of like okay, that's it. W- you were bad, but you weren't as bad as you thought, and that's okay. So I needed this. Hey, this is this is what we're here for. Um. Everybody, everybody, hang out and wait out for part two, the 2018-2019 season, where I spend 35 minutes going through 72 box scores and pulling the shot again. This is going to be a reoccurring segment. <laughs> yeah. Hey, if anyone's listening and you have publicly available statistics and you think you've been hard done by by your shot counter, I'll do it. I'll, I'll do the math. Ben will do it for $25 at a Tim Hortons gift card and he will crunch the stats for you and you'll get back to your league. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'll also send a strongly worded email, uh, but only if, if the season happened more than five years ago and has absolutely no chance of having an effect on anyone's personal life. If you're still listening, if you're still listening, in trouble. if you're still listening to the podcast, thanks for putting, putting up with our nonsense. I hope that you also come on this crusade, uh, this journey with us because I feel like this should be a commercial. If you or a goalie you know was harmed by horrible shooting counters, please call Morgan, Morgan, and Morgan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Now, I do have one final thing to say, is that if you are a goalie who has been affected by negatively by a shot counter, what you should do is subscribe to Jamie Phillips' Patreon page, his YouTube page, and then give us a rating on Spotify, iTunes, whatever you're listening to. We appreciate all the support. Um, everyone who comes up and says they see us on Instagram or listen to the show, we appreciate you, uh, and we're happy you enjoy it. And we hope you, uh, hope you learn something here and there from the science. And I hope you have a good laugh at Jamie. Apparently had a workshop. So, yeah. And thanks. Yeah. Thanks to everyone that, like Ben said, that talks to us in person. I do appreciate it. I love it. Uh, and thanks to everyone who comments on YouTube for the algorithm and says for the algorithm, the algorithm needs it. That's awesome. All right, Jamie, let's wrap it up. Yeah. We'll talk some more. And until next time. Till next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash Upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.